Coming up on Philosophy Talk. John Stuart Mill and The Good Life. Choose life. Choose a job. Choose a career. Choose a family. Mill thinks the good life is the life that I choose. So which is it? Is it better to choose a life of suffering or live happily in somebody else's vision? This is my life. This is it. I spent 26 years waiting for something else to start. So no, no, I don't, I don't think it's too much to take on because it's everything there is. I see now it's all there is. Choose your future. Choose life. Would you rather be a pig satisfied or Socrates dissatisfied? Our guest is David Brink, author of Mill's Progressive Principles. I am not going to sit on my ass. As the events that affect me unfold to determine the course of my life, I'm going to take a stand. Mill and the good life. I'm going to defend it. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Right or wrong, I'm going to defend it. What is the good life? Are we each free to decide which life is best for us? Is a life good because I choose it? Or do I choose it because it's good? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken teaches philosophy, and I did for 40 or 45 years. Yeah, John, and it's nice to have our host emeritus back in the studio for a day. Thanks so much. Nice to be back, Ken. So today, we're thinking about John Stuart Mill and the good life. Well, Mill, I guess, I mean, he's re- on liberty. He's really big on individual choice. He says that a person's, this is a quote, own mode of laying out his existence is best not because it is best in itself, but because it is in his own mode, end quote. I I love Mill's emphasis on freedom and self-actualization, not letting yourself be cowed into conformity by, here's another quote, the despotism of custom or browbeaten into accepting orthodoxy by what he calls the tyranny of the prevailing opinion. That's really good stuff, John. Well, I like it too, Ken. But, you know, I guess I've never been able to understand how Mill can believe all that and at the same time be a utilitarian. <laughs> well, well, wait a minute. What, what's the problem? Well, utilitarians think that you should always do that, which produces the greatest happiness for the greatest number, right? Well, yeah, that's one way they put it. Well, there's a tension there. Look, example, I know how much you love doing philosophy. I sure do. But suppose that you could, in fact, make more people happy by being a lawyer. You take up the law, you become a crusader for human rights. Instead of making, you know, a significant number of philosophy students significantly better off, you make thousands of people really better off. But you're miserable doing it. Would you consider doing it? No, no, because you said the thing. I, I would, I think I might be a good lawyer, but I wouldn't be happy as a lawyer. I'd be miserable as a lawyer. But you're just one person, Ken. I mean, I have to break it to you, but <laughs> yeah. that's it. And in the calculus of the greatest good for the greatest number, your individual happiness doesn't matter any more than anyone else's. Uh, look, John, I don't want to sound too terribly selfish, but frankly, I'm just not willing, I'm just not, just not, to sacrifice my own happiness at the altar of the happiness of others. I'm just not willing to do that. But aren't utilitarians? Isn't that the idea? I mean, some of them would want me to sacrifice my happiness, 
not just for the greater good of all of mankind, but the greater good of all of animal kind. Yeah, yeah, but that's Peter Singer. That, he, and he does he does say that kind of thing. But uh, Mill doesn't say that sort of thing. I mean, how could he? He's the man who says, here's a quote, another quote from Mill. He who lets the world, or his own portion of it, choose his plan of life for him has no need of any other faculty than the ape-like one of imitation. Well, yes, thank you. You've explained why I am puzzled. What kind of utilitarianism is that? Well, it's, 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 it's like, it's the kind for one thing, I know. I, it's the kind that doesn't count all pleasures or all happiness as equal. I mean, think of what he says about, you know, philosophers and pigs, for example. Well, I think what he's supposed to have said is it's better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. I think that's what distinguishes Mill from Bentham and from Mill's own father. This, you know, comparative happiness. But how does that help us here? Well, well, just think about it. It shows that happiness is not like, it's not like a, a fungible commodity necessarily. Uh, and so, because happiness is not fungible, sacrificing the happiness of one Socrates, even for the sake of a million happy pigs, well, that's not a good bargain, according to Mill. Okay, but let's just stick to humans. Would it be a good utilitarian bargain? to trade the, the happiness of one former philosopher turned crusading lawyer, no longer happy as a crusading lawyer, for the happiness of a million ordinary Janes and Joes whose life he improves with his lawyer. Look, 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 I don't even think Mill would make that a bargain. I don't really know, but I don't think he would. Because, I mean, he says I'm not allowed to harm other people. That's his famous harm principle. But I don't think he thinks I'm morally required to sacrifice my happiness for the greater good. I don't think he thinks that at all. Well, I just don't see what kind of utilitarianism allows you to thumb your nose at the greater good in the name of your individual liberty and happiness. Well, I think a subtle and sophisticated kind. That's what Scott... Yeah, uh, in other words, a kind that is above my head and I can't understand. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. I bet yeah. you think it's more incoherent. Yeah, I think it's incoherent. Yeah, look, but I think, I, think. I think that you're thinking about utility too narrowly. I mean, remember what Mill says in Unliberty when he's talking about utility. He says he means, quote, utility in the largest sense, grounded in the permanent interest of man as a progressive being. See? Yeah, that's the old philosophical device. Oh, you think P is kind of obscure. How about P plus yada, 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 yada? <laughs> no, John. Oh, that's perfect. No, no, John. Come on, come on. Ask yourself. Come on, let's be fair to me. Ask yourself this question. Would allowing the individual to be sacrificed for the good of the collective, like as a general rule, would that actually serve humanity's collective interest in its own progress? I think the answer is obvious. No, it wouldn't. That would be a recipe for tyranny and oppression to me, not freedom and autonomy. Well, Ken, I will concede you this much. Mill is a complicated and sophisticated thinker, and there's a lot to sort out here. And to help us sort it out, we sent a roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to dig into an area where individual freedom and the collective interests quite often seem to conflict. She files this report. Bailey Kirkaby is a rising senior at Bear Creek High School in Stockton, California. This past year, she wrote a controversial profile for her school newspaper. Students are often told to follow their dreams and pursue what they love. An 18-year-old senior at Bear Creek who recently started a career in adult entertainment is doing just that. The piece profiles a fellow high school student who makes her own erotic videos. 
When I first started selling, it was just for money, Fink said. But then I liked the attention I got, such as being called beautiful. Bailey remembers a lot of people criticizing the students' life choices. This is what she's wanted to do, and this is the path that she wanted to take, and she's happy with it. Caitlin Flanagan, a writer for The Atlantic magazine, thought people who read that piece should have been more concerned. An 18-year-old girl from a troubled home should not be making pornography to pay rent while she tries to graduate from high school. We know that's not right. John Stuart Mill encourages people to pursue higher pleasures, like listening to Beethoven or enjoying a nice day at the theater. Flanagan says making sexual videos was not quite what Mill had in mind. The idea that a Victorian could possibly imagine an 18-year-old girl performing multiple sexual acts with men she doesn't know, that would just melt John Stuart Mill's mind down to, to, to nothingness. It's easy for anyone in the digital age to sell porn and to consume it. That does raise questions about harm and liberty. Shira Tarrant is a professor of women's gender and sexuality studies at CSU Long Beach. She's also a fan of John Stuart Mill. People don't ask her about the guy enough. I have never had anybody ask me about the link between John Stuart Mill and pornography. Tarrant says Mill's ideas are handy when it comes to moving past the one-dimensional is porn good, is porn bad, yes or no debate. When these arguments around pornography are driven by passion and emotion and morality or even religion, that can interfere with really clear-headed thinking. She says that if Mill were asked to give a lecture on pornography today, it would likely be informed by his wife, Harriet Taylor Mill. He had a concern about women and women's political rights, largely due to his partner having concerns about women's rights. Harriet Taylor Mill says pleasure would be, quote, infinitely heightened by the perfect equality of the sexes. With that in mind, Terrence says Mr. Mill would likely start this imaginary lecture with the harm principle. The government can only interfere in individuals' liberty if doing so prevents harm from coming to others. Other than that, John Stuart Mill says people have the right to be free, to seek rational pleasure, to express themselves. The question of whether porn causes harm is where this gets complicated. And so, at this point in the fantasy lecture, health experts might break down the data on both sides. Mill doesn't want us to sit back and be indifferent. If I don't like porn or I think that pornography is harmful, I can try to convince you not to watch porn. I can engage in free speech and open debate on this topic. I could even, according to Mill, beg you to not watch porn. But according to Mill, I cannot force you to stop watching porn. And more importantly, neither can the government. There are lots of pleasures out there in the world. Higher pleasures, lower pleasures. Pleasures that are medium low or on the lower end of high. Some people enjoy porn, others enjoy learning to play Duke Ellington on the saxophone. And there are good reasons to criticize porn. But there was also a time when people said jazz caused dementia and sexual deviance. At the end of the day, there is no harm in sticking to the science. Hey man, got a big box of porn for you. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.